So we are in a sermon series uh, for abiding, and we are in the third week of abiding. Hopefully you guys are starting to begin some of the lessons and get some of the lessons of what that means, uh, and everyone is well-rested this morning and joyful and uh, learning those lessons well. If you're like me, though, it takes a little bit longer. Uh, the Christian walk is just that. It's a walk. Bill talked about that a little bit last week. It's a slow pace, isn't it? It's not something that we often get quick jumps ahead. It's something that takes a long time. Uh, when I was doing tweens a few weeks ago, we talked about wisdom, and, and the idea of wisdom's pace is that it's slow, and it has a posture. It's low. We have to humble ourselves in order to get it. And it has a person, and it's Jesus Christ. And that person is the one who keeps us and abides with us. And that's why we're here today, and it's why we can do what we can do. It's why we're empowered. So when we talk about abiding, it's really kind of a strange word. It's one that we don't use much in today's language. So it's helpful to kind of try to figure out a way to define it. And most of the time when we talk about it, we usually talk about it in relation to John 15. That's probably the most familiar passage to most people, and that's where it's the analogy of the vine and the branches. And Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch that's in me does not bear fruit, that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And he goes on through that and talks about what it means to abide as being a branch in there. So picking up at uh, John 15, verse 8, or 9, rather, if you're in your scriptures, you can look at that, if you're in your Bible. And I'm just going to read that sort of as a reference, and we're going to kind of keep referring back to that analogy uh, just to keep it familiar with you. So John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Does anyone here this morning need to have some full joy? Most of you come in from the end of the summer, and it's either, as Bill talked about in the first week, it's either a time where you were hoping to have rest, and yet you overscheduled yourself, and you spent so much time at the beach and everything else that now you're crashing into September, and you're like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do through September here as work starts again or school starts again? Or it's the other way, and many people here have seasonal jobs where summer is their busy season, and you are just crawling to the finish line, exhausted. I know that there are people here like that today. I'm looking at you, Michael. <laughs> and Steve, yes, <laughs> definitely. So if we look at abide as a, as a word, one definition that can come forward is this idea of an unbroken, unceasing fellowship with God that's both positional that's the idea that we are in the vine, and it's an act of surrender. That's the idea that we, we yield to that position that we're in the vine, and therefore he can grow through us and produce fruit in us. So it, that's kind of the, the, the loose working definition that we're going to play off of throughout the time this morning. Week one, uh, when Bill started this, it dealt with the idea of positional, right? It, it dealt with identity, and he said that our identity is the bridge to activity, and that I abiding is that bridge. So our identity, often in our world today, we are told that we have to go find our identity. We're told by every Disney movie, we're told by every princess that goes out there and says, oh, you forget what your family says, forget what your culture says, forget what anything else says, you have to look deep inside yourselves, find your deepest desires, and latch on to that, 
make that your identity, and then find a group of people that will agree with that and surround yourself with them, and that's how you make it forward. But the idea, that idea is really a bad idea, isn't it? It doesn't work out real well. In fact, C.S. Lewis has a, uh, a quote that says, if you look for yourself, you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But if you look for Christ, you'll find him, and everything else will be thrown in with him. In other words, you'll find yourself most fully yourself when you stop trying to find yourself and you go and look for Christ. And that's when he will live through you and make you who you are. And the individual gifts that he's given you will come alive. Bill recapped in week two, uh, I'm sorry, Bill recapped in, in that same sermon about identity in week one, the idea of who God says we are. So we begin looking to God for who we are, and he said, we're number one, we're beloved of God. We're in the family of God, and therefore we're called to be God's ambassadors to the world. We represent him to the world. In week two, Bill went through the idea of busyness. He said, we're all so busy, but he asked the scathing question, busy with what? And again, I, I think everyone felt sufficiently guilty. Um, if not, then go back and listen to it again. Um, but, but the idea is that what are we busy with? And, and the easy scapegoat is technology, isn't it? It was easy to say, oh, well, we're busy with all these other things, Facebook, Netflix, all these things. But then he brought in the ancient examples from Mary and Martha. And Martha was busy preparing and doing things and, and trying to get Jesus to reprimand Mary for not being busy with those things when Mary chose to sit at his feet and learn from Jesus and see who he was. And Jesus says no. He rebukes her and he says, Mary has chosen the greater thing. We also know from the parable of the wedding guests where everyone is invited to come to the wedding feast and suddenly all the wedding guests that are invited find an excuse not to be there. I have to go check on that field I bought or I've got something else that I have to do and they, and they don't come. So busyness isn't something that is a problem in our modern era, is it? It's a symptom. It's a symptom of something greater. It's a symptom of our hearts, our hearts wanting not to follow and yield with God. It's our hearts wanting not to surrender. Other problems with abiding are this idea of it feels like a checklist. It feels like something else that we have to do because we misunderstand that idea of abiding. We misunderstand it. We don't really understand how to define it, and therefore we think it's something that we have to add to our checklist. See, we're, we're hardwired in a lot of ways to be okay with a checklist because it, we want to earn our own righteousness. We want to earn our way to being considered good enough. And yet, as Bonnie's book that she likes to hand out, How Good is Good Enough, tells us, we can't get there. There is no good enough. It has to be perfect, and we're not going to make that. So this idea of doing, which we're hardwired to, is under the law of Moses, and yet we forget that we're not under that law anymore. We're set free from that. So we forget that abiding is, in fact, a command of love to believe what Christ will do in us. So today, we're going to look at that idea of what abiding is in three different time periods. Number one, it's in every moment, every moment from now until eternity. So this long, unbroken period of time. How do we abide from now until eternity? That seems rather daunting maybe even impossible. Number two is the idea of day by day. How do we get through each day? And number three is at this moment. 
right now, in this individual moment. So we're going to look at those three things. So let's start with every moment. That's from now until eternity. Again, is, the question is, is unbroken fellowship with God, unceasing communion with God even possible? What do you think? That was actually not rhetorical. I really wanted to see what you thought. I didn't know. I mean, you know, I know what I think. But what do you think? Do you think it's possible? You're like, I, I think the answer's supposed to be yes, but I, have, I, I see a lot of this going on. I, I think the answer's supposed to be yes, right? Yes, the answer is yes, but in our natural state, is it possible? Absolutely not. Why? We can't even keep our thought on one thing for more than two minutes, maybe even less in some cases, right? And, and in fact, there's two reasons why we can't do that. One has to do with the nature of man. We can't do two things at once, can we? As much as we think we can multitask, science has proven, if you look at neuro neurological readouts, you literally can't do that. It's just jumping very quickly from one thing to another. But you can only concentrate on one thing at a time. So the idea that we can un unceasingly be in communion with God, if it depends on our brain, constantly pray praying to God and praying with God, we're not going to make it. We can't do it. Because there are times where we're called, most of us are called to be in a vocation, for example, or to be a parent. And in those moments, we can have, try to have prayer going on in the back of our minds, but ultimately we have to be, in some cases, fully and totally concentrated on the task at hand. And that's a good thing. Work is a good thing, isn't it? it we have toil because of sin in the fall, but work was actually created as something to do with a purpose, and that's a good thing. So we provide for our families, we go to work, we're parents at home, we're, we're uh, parenting our kid, we have to be concentrated on things. And, and that takes dual focus, but we don't have dual focus. So again, in our natural state, we can't do this. So we look again at the vineyard analogy, and I want you to listen to the words of Isaiah. Isaiah 27, verse 2 and 3 says, in that day, a vineyard of wine, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. I water it every moment. Say every moment. So that no one will damage it, and I guard it night and day. Do you guys see who the keeper is? Who's the keeper of the vi vineyard? God, the Lord. Who keeps it every moment? The Lord. Who waters it night and day? The Lord. Is it you? No. We can't do it. So he is your keeper at every moment. Psalm 121 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You have a guard who's watching you night and day, who's tending to you night and day. He is the vine dresser. You're the vine. We need to trust him to keep us just as we trusted him to save us. A book that I drew heavily from for this sermon is Abide in Christ by Andrew Murray, and I recommend it to you. Uh, I don't, just like most books, there's not everything in his theology is something that we may perfectly agree with, but the book is excellent, and it's something that gives you 30 days worth of individual readings, basically, because each chapter is small enough to do in a quick read, um, and it's, he goes through each of these things, and one of the quotes that he says in this uh, is, as it was Jesus who drew you. When he spoke, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. So it is Jesus who keeps you when he says, abide in me. That's John 15. 
The grace to come and the grace to abide alike are from him alone. That word come, when heard, when meditated on, accepted, that was the cord that drew you near. The word abide is likewise the band that holds you fast and binds you to himself. Just as you were drawn in, no one could come except those who are drawn by the Father, right? Just as you hear the word come, and he does the work of bringing you, so you hear the command, abide in me, and he does the work of holding you and keeping you and watering you every moment. So it's not that it's a demanding do, but rather it's an invitation of love. It's an act of trust that is done. There's another famous pastor, locally famous, who uh, on recently on a podcast, he said, all the do's and don'ts are done in Jesus. That was Bill Lackey, by the way. <laughs> but it's a great quote. All the do's and don'ts are done in Jesus, right? We don't have a checklist anymore. It's done. Jesus did all that. We just have to live into him and surrender to that. See, this should begin to give you a picture of the joyous rest, the joyous rest that's to come, the joyous rest that we are invited in when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you see it? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Paul says it beautifully, right? Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Where can I go from your spirit? Your right hand holds me fast. If I settle on the far side of the sea, there's nowhere I can go that I can be away from him. He holds us. He keeps us. Are you seeing the theme? I hope so. It's pretty clear. I'm driving it home pretty hard, I hope. So we're kept at every moment by a God that neither slumbers nor sleeps, a God that invites us to call us Father, a God who is the vine dresser who tends to us can you see how that ends fear? Do you see how that ends anxiety? We don't have to plan. This idea of our plan for the future, it doesn't make sense. The future that we're predicting, that we're worried about, that we're worried of holding on to so tightly, isn't necessarily the future that's going to happen. We lean in and we trust that God has tomorrows. So that brings us to the idea of being kept, being uh, adoring, right? So, <laughs> sorry, lost my place there. See, when Bill asked me to do the sermon, one of the things that he said was he wanted to make it about adoration, abiding as adoration. And the natural fruit of abiding with Christ is that you begin to adore him. But what I kept missing as I was trying to write this thing and he got on a plane and left me alone was that it's not necessarily first about us, is it? The story of the scripture is never about us first. It's about God first. It's his love story. It's his rescue plan. It's his pouring into us and rescuing us and pulling out. And the idea of abiding is adoration. Well, it starts with him adoring us. And so as I was praying through this sermon, one of the things that really struck me and I felt like God was like, this is what I need you to drive home, is that he adores you. The Father adores you. He wants to spend time with you. It's not about us getting up in the morning and checking something off so that we have done it and we can get empowered and go on our way. 
It's literally that he, the, the, the one who created the heavens, who hung the stars, who created the galaxies, wants to spend time with you because he adores you. The adoration isn't ours to start with. We love not because we're just made that way. We love because he first, what? Loved us. We love because he first loved us. We adore because he adores us. We don't have the power to do that without him. We're created to glorify him. That's man's chief end, right? Breton will tell you that, Dr. Palmer. We're adoring because he adores us. He delights in you. He rejoices over you with singing. That's what scripture tells us. He dances over you. You are his beloved. Can you feel it? If you've never sat on the front porch or in bed at night or wherever, driving, and said, Lord, show me your love for me, and felt him smile at you, I invite you to do that. Start this week. He'll show up. He will. Often at inopportune times, I'll be honest, we were driving down 95 South one, uh, one day on a trip. We're about to cross the Susquehanna Bridge, which, as you know, takes a little bit of concentration, uh, particularly if there's crosswinds on 95 South and there's a lot of traffic. And I'd been discouraged. I'd been frustrated. I hadn't felt God's presence in a while. I hadn't really known a lot of things. I'd just been, I was in a very discouraged place in life. And I was praying with my wife. Jess and I were praying as we drove down the road. And I said, Lord, I just need to see you. I just need to feel you. It's been so long. And he showed up. He showed up in a big way. And as I tried to keep the road straight in front of me through blurred eyes as tears came forward, I had to ask him to hold back just a little bit because I didn't want to drive off the bridge. I wanted to meet him, but not maybe right that moment. <laughs> the idea is he will show up. He's waiting to adore you. He's waiting to dance with you. So let's look at day by day. That's every moment he keeps you. He adores you. He's longing to spend time with you. So day by day, Exodus I want to spend just a moment there. When the Israelites were wandering in the desert, they had no provisions. It's the desert. It's hard to find food in the desert. And who shows up? This is a softball. God, yeah, right. We knew that, right. It's always the right answer. Jesus, God, okay. He shows up, and he says, the people shall go out and gather a day's portion each day. You see, he made food appear on the desert floor, manna. Manna, which means what is it? We don't know. It's food. It was nutritious. It was there. It was plentiful. And he could gather, you could gather it in. But you could only gather how much? You guys remember? Right. Just enough for one day. If you tried to keep more than one day, what happened? It spoiled. There's an exception, and that's the Sabbath, and we'll get to that another time. But, yes, the idea is that you gathered in each day just the portion for that day. A doctor was once asked by a patient, after a serious accident, the patient said, how long do I have to lie here? And the doctor said, only one day at a time. And see, Bill talked about this a little bit. That's actually a really comforting thing. We only have to face things one day at a time. He talked last week about the idea of the design of being the day and the night being separated and broken. And that is God's mercy. It's giving us a reset each day. See, God's mercies are new each morning, right? So it gives us a reset, 
and that we can be faithful for a day. It doesn't sound quite as daunting. The idea of being in unceasing, unbroken fellowship for all of eternity sounds impossible. But the idea of, okay, well, maybe for today, I can do this. Many people who have wrestled through addiction can grasp this concept pretty clearly and quickly. Right? They understand that it's difficult to say, okay, for the rest of my life, I won't do this. Take a drink, take drugs, do whatever it is that you're addicted to. But today, today I can hold on. And that's what many of the programs are based on. You end up getting a, a, a chip after a certain number of days and a 90-day chip and a 120-day chip. See, a string of unbroken days when put together suddenly become transformative. Your life is different. And you're a different person. And a broken day may happen and it takes more than just the next day to make it up. But the next day is manageable by itself. So day by day, he provides the mercies and the portion for that day. However, if you're like me, by 9.15, you may be stressed. <laughs> so in the morning, you're like, okay, your mercies are new. I can make this. And 9.15 rolls around, and suddenly you realize how much money you lost that day or something else happened and someone else frustrated you. And so now we go to at this moment. So we've gone from at every moment where he keeps you and holds you, and day by day where he gives you sufficient portion for the day, and now at this moment. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. See, sometimes a day can feel like too much. The thought of saying, I'm going to abide in Jesus all day today may sound too much, too hard. Here, then, is the work of abiding that we can do as he gives us strength to do it. In each free moment, as we're driving along, or as we're between phone calls or between yelling at people, whatever, I'm not judging, we say, in this moment, right now, Christ, I abide in you. We recognize the position. That is a surrender, by the way, to recognize the position that we have in the vine, that we are not, in fact, the vine and the root, we're just a branch. And we say, right now, in this moment, I abide in you. I want you to make that your prayer right now, at the, literally at this moment. Why? Because now is the time. So pray with me. Now at this moment, I abide in you. Simple, right? Now at this moment, I abide in you. Find yourself this week throughout the day saying, now, at this moment, I abide in you. These nows begin to add up, and they begin to create moment after moment, and they create day after day, and then year after year. And we begin to see how each individual moment adds up to a lifetime. But that's too much to look at. Look at now, right now, and say, right now, I abide in you. What about when I've messed up, and I've fallen, and I've sinned, and I know it? No better time. Because positionally, you haven't changed. You are still in Christ. So even in that moment, although maybe blushing, you say, Lord, in this moment, I abide in you. And you begin a string new. And you begin to walk new in his mercies. This abiding then leads us to a stillness of soul. Because we begin to rest. 
And we begin to realize that we can lay down our checklists a little bit. And we can walk fully in his love. And yet still I can hear you guys asking, but surely there's something I have to do. There's some checklist I have to do. First of all, don't call me Shirley. It's not my name. <laughs> but the question is, what did John 15 say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the answer to your do, well, we can find it in another quote from Andrew Murray. The do is this. It's to abide. An intelligent, willing, wholehearted surrender by which we accept his offer and consent to the abiding as the life we seek. Abiding as Jesus is nothing but the giving up of oneself to be ruled, taught, and led, and so to rest in the arms of everlasting love. Hopefully you heard it. Surrender. That's the work. That's your checklist. Your checklist for the day is one, surrender. It's a concept that we're not very keen on. It's something that we're not, it's not very popular to talk about in today's culture, surrender. In fact, in American culture, we really don't even understand the word. We think of commitment, or we think of contract. We think of agreeing to terms that we like, negotiating. Those of you who were in the Spirit Walk class with us remember this, when we went through uh, the book uh, by Steve Smith about it called Spirit Walk. He says, surrendering is the idea of taking a blank contract, a blank page, and signing it. And you protest. You say, but God, I want to know what the terms are. He says, just sign it. I'll fill the terms in as we go. And the idea is that it's a difference between a commitment, which we understand, and a conquering king coming in and saying, you need to surrender. I'm in charge. And you saying, okay. There's an idea that when man and God are working together in some kind of a partnership, each must do his own part. <laughs> but how did Jesus display it for us? Earlier in John, just, be, just a, a chapter before even, actually maybe even the same chapter, I suddenly can't remember, but Jesus was dependent on the Father. I think it's John 8. He says, I don't say anything that the Father doesn't tell me, and I don't do anything that the Father doesn't show me. I see what the Father's doing, and that's what I do. I say what the Father says. He was dependent on the Father for his words, and he said, I abide in the Father. And so, just as I abide in the Father, you abide in me. So the only thing we can do by ourselves is, in fact, sin. Sorry. Bad news, right? But another quote says this, as he ceases from self-effort, faith assures him that God does what he has undertaken and works in him. Remember the scripture? He says, the good work that I've started in you, I will what? Complete it. I will bring about to completion. And what God does to renew and sanctify and to awaken all his energies to their highest power. So, in proportion to our yielding, as a truly passive instrument in the hand of God, we will be wielded as the active instrument of God's almighty power. The soul in which that wondrous combination of perfect passivity with the highest activity is most completely realized has the deepest experience of what the Christian life is. 
When we yield ourselves to him, he uses us the most. Suddenly we become enlivened, and the activities, the works, the following of his commandments suddenly become incredibly easy. They're just an overflow of what's already in there. He says one of the greatest commandments is to love one another. That's hard, right? Let's be honest. Sometimes it's really hard, depending on who you are or depending on who you're with. It can be really hard, but he gives you the strength to do that the more that you abide in him, and it doesn't become hard anymore. Suddenly, the people that you think are unlovely or unlovable, you suddenly have a compassion for and a need to reach out to. See, to be found in Christ, which is, by the way, what it says, abide in me, not with me, Abide in me. So to be found in Christ, we must surrender and die to ourselves to rest and fully live. See, in order to be a Christian, all you need is need, right? All you need is nothing. That's the quote. All you need is need. All you need is nothing. But the problem is most people don't have that. See, we all want to bring something. We want to bring our resumes. We want to bring our qualifications. We want to bring our talents because we're so awesome. (laughs) And we are but only because he's created that. And the awesomeness is only when he is working through us. We, we want to bring our resumes, but as we'll talk about in just a minute, in Philippians 3, Paul talks about the idea of leaving your resume alone and counting it as rubbish in order to know Christ. Because we can't bring anything to the gospel. The gospel is all you need. Come to me all who are weary and labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's a joy-filled life. That's a restful, joy-filled life. And through that, we find the most activity. See, only through surrendering wholly to King Jesus can we find the rest of abiding. So how do we get our souls passive? How do we get it still? Well, we're going to start by being a forgetter. It's not a real word, but we'll go with it. And a rememberer, also not necessarily a real word, but we're going to go with that too. So we're going to be a forgetter and a rememberer. Er, er. How do we do that? Well, that's where we're going to jump into Philippians 3. So if you got your text, go to that real quickly. I'm going to sum it up for you. Philippians 3 starts with rejoice in the Lord. It's easy. Not really. But then he goes on to say how. He says, put no confidence in the flesh. See, your identity doesn't start with you. Remember, we talked about that. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I did all things. If anyone has reason to boast in the flesh, it's me more than anybody. But whatever was my gain, I count it as loss, garbage, rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found where? In him. Not that I have a righteousness of my own from the law, but from God on the basis of faith. That's not ourselves, right? That I may know him. Verse 12 is where we're going to start quoting. Here we go. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Do you hear that? So that I may lay hold that which was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. He's keeping you. He's holding you. 
And it's really just a recognition of that so that then you can hug back if you want to call it that. His arms are wrapped around you. You can fight and bang against it or you can surrender and enjoy it and then work together. Verse 13, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So how do I forget? What do I forget? I forget what I think I deserve based on the good life that I've led. I forget all of the things that I've amassed in my own confidence and in my own flesh. I forget what lies behind, what lies behind my failures, the things that I messed up on 20 minutes ago, the, the distracted thoughts that I had, the times that I broke my patience and yelled at my kids or did whatever it was. I forget what lies behind. I forget my own righteousness and my search for identity. I forget trying to look for my identity, and then I begin to remember. We remember what he's done. We remember what he's promised. We remembered who he is. That's what he says. Take my yoke. Learn of me, and you will find rest. When we learn of him, we remember who he is, and we can find that rest. Stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about him. Stop trusting in yourself. Start trusting in him. In this moment, Jesus, I abide in you. Because of who he is, we are kept abiding in Christ positionally, and therefore he will cause us to grow, grow fruit. Have you ever walked by an apple tree and just seen it sweating and working really hard to produce those apples? No. Just does it. Does it because that's its nature, because the branch is abiding in the trunk, and the trunk feeds the branch, and therefore the fruit is produced. I want you to marinate in that idea and then wait. Wait on his presence. Remember, the idea is that he adores you. He delights in you. Sometimes it's not about answers. We go to him with checklists of answers and things. Lord, tell me how to do this. Give me wisdom for this. Give me that. And that's a good thing. It's, not, it's the right place to go. It's the right place to go with your anger. It's the right place to go with your, your confusion. It's the right place to go to ask for wisdom. But often we go so much with answers that we forget the idea that he just wants to sit with us. When you're in love with somebody, you just want to spend time with them. Sometimes it doesn't matter what you're doing or where you're going. Just spend time with him. Feel that song over you. When we're in love, it, it, it rarely matters what we're doing. When you spend time with him, you become a better person, a better version of yourself than you could ever be by reading all the self-help books in the world. Last week, Bill ended by saying this, want to be a better parent? He said, it's not about being a better butler for your kids. It's about finding quiet and rest for your soul. A better spouse? It's about finding quiet and rest for your soul. Greater joy? Quiet and rest for your soul. Peace? Quiet and rest for your soul. Grow in love? Quiet and rest for your soul. Well, where do we find quiet and rest for our soul? In Christ, by abiding with him. So do you want to be a better parent? You spend time with Christ. You want to be a better spouse? Spend time with Christ. My family knows very well the days that are broken for me, the days that I haven't spent time with Christ. They can see it pretty quickly. If I want to try to be a better parent, I could read all kinds of parenting books. We have a couple of them. I've gotten through a few chapters. They usually just make me feel bad about myself. <laughs> I can't do it. 
See, all the self-help books in the world won't help you the way spending time with Christ has. His disciples, when they were brought up to speak before people, suddenly people recognized that they were, it sounded as though they were educated, but they said, well, wait a minute, these are uneducated men. But they knew the scriptures really well, and then they were recognized as ones who had spent time with Christ. And that's the label that I want on my life. And when it's there, that's when my kids know and love and trust me because I'm a better parent. I'm a better person. So again, want to be a better friend? Spend time with Christ. Want to find peace? Spend time with Christ. Want to be a better tennis player? No, practice. You got to practice. I'm sorry. That has nothing to do with Christ. (laughs) All right. Big takeaways. God will keep you because he adores you. He will give you the portion for each day. We can surrender each moment and he can work in us. Psalm 91 begins with this. He who dwells, and that word dwells is abide, surrender. It can be translated of all of those things. He who dwells or abides, surrenders, in the shelter of the Most High will rest. That's stay fixed, be secured, abide also, remain stable. He will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I say to the Lord in adoration, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I can confidently rely on you, right? This week, I pray that he brings fruit in you. I know that what it's going to do is lead to next week where we talk about what it looks like to actually spend time with him. And when you've spent time with him, suddenly doing the things that he commands are easy because it's written in your heart and you just want to do it because you want to please the one whom you love. So that's obeying. We hear, we obey, and then we share because when you're in love and you're love and you don't care who knows it, that's elf, you begin to share it with people. And that's what next week's going to be about is the idea of, of spending time with him, what that looks like and what the overflow is. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we abide in you, even now. I pray, Father, that this week our eyes would be open to that truth. I pray for each of us that we would find rest in you as we learn of you. You say you will give us rest. I pray that the joy of knowing you, the joy of realizing that you delight in us, that you adore us, Lord, that that would push out any fear, any anxiety that seems to be plaguing our day. I pray, Lord, that as we walk through the trials of the week, many of us are sick. Many of us have lost loved ones recently. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize that we abide in you. And through that, Father, we would find rest and stillness of soul. In Jesus' name, amen.